Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you, and welcome to Perspectives on healthcare. Today's perspective comes from Dr. Peter Small. He is from out in the state of Washington. He is a chief medical officer. He is a member of the baby boomer generation, and he's got a specialty in cough, which is something I think we will likely get into today, but um, an expertise I had not thought of before. I Dr. Small, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your role in healthcare, please. So mine's been a pretty eclectic career. I I started as a healthcare provider in San Francisco at the dawn of the AIDS epidemic. Um, I moved down the road to Stanford University where I did um, very fundamental research on the molecular epidemiology of tuberculosis. I moved up to Seattle where I joined the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as one of the earliest employees um, focused on building uh, and running their tuberculosis program. And, uh, you know, the common theme across all of this uh, has been cough and um, Right now, about uh, now, I serve as the chief medical officer for Hyfe, which is uh, a company that's entirely focused on on doing for cough what the thermometer did for fever. Okay, so help me understand here because I've always thought of like cough as a symptom, and um, it sounds to me like you're looking at it as something more than that. Or am I reading too much into it? Well, cough is definitely a symptom. In fact, it's one of the most common reasons that people seek health care. Um, and it, it can be uh, caused by many things. Often it's it's just a little viral illness and it goes away with time. But for a significant number of people, chronic cough is problematic. And it's, uh, it's particularly uh, ironic right now in this era of digital medicine and precision health, uh, that when you go to your healthcare provider, many things will get measured. But one of the most common reasons for seeking care, cough, is simply never measured. The doctor will just say, how much are you coughing? And and you'll probably be thinking, I don't know, doctor, how many times did you cough yesterday? No one really knows. Yeah. Okay. So it's really interesting. You've touched on a, a slight nerve for me because, listen, I'm I'm a person with a disability, right? So I'm I'm a quadriplegic. And when I go to the doctor, I can't stand on the scale. And without fail, the doctor, the staff asked me, well, how much do you weigh? And the issue becomes like, okay, I don't know exactly how much I weigh. I can tell you how much I weighed the last time I got weighed, which was six months ago. But you're asking for, you're asking people to describe a symptom to you that they haven't necessarily been tracking because it's not something that, that really registers. How do you, how do you inform patients about that to say like, Hey, this is something you need to pay attention to. Well, I think many people 
do pay attention to their cough because it's it's one of the most common reasons they seek health care. And, and the problem, though, is that it's just simply diff- it's super hard to, to try and keep track of how many times you're coughing. People will try things like keeping diaries and whatnot. But but it's actually just really, really hard. And and, you know, what what we have focused on is using acoustics and this sort of magical new technology of machine learning to recognize and monitor cough passively. So, you know, we have um, essentially a, an app that runs in the background on your phone and, and it just becomes like a Fitbit for cough. It, it tracks your cough. It counts your cough in a way that preserves privacy. And then when the doctor says, how many times are you coughing? How often are you coughing? When are you coughing? Uh, you can tell them. Okay. And is that tracking just um, a numeric tracking? Are there different sounds that come with a cough that indicate different conditions or does that impact it at all? Well, right now, the the real um, transformation is to simply count coughs, the, okay. the Fitbit for cough. Uh, just because it's 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 unmeasured. I, I I myself had had COVID a couple of months ago. I called my provider. They said, "Oh, well, you're not really qualified for Paxlovid." And I said, "Well, you know, I have a chronic cough." And and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, everyone coughs." I said, "No, I coughed 800 times yesterday." And like, "Oh, okay, here's some Paxlovid." So so simply counting cough is is super helpful. The other thing is that. We hypothesize, and this hasn't been proven, but there's a lot of uh, suggestive evidence that the pattern of cough is really helpful. And one of the most common causes of chronic cough is is gastroesophageal reflux, just just GERD. And and so we suspect that people who cough mostly after meals probably have GERD, whereas those who are coughing when they're outside may have allergies, or those who are coughing when they lay down may have congestive heart failure. So we think there's a ton of information that's simply not being captured and not being mined about the pattern of cough. And then finally, uh, I think it's quite likely that there is diagnostic information in the actual sound of the cough. And, and we are working on algorithms. In fact, we're funded by the Gates Foundation. We're collecting half a million coughs from people across Asia and Africa who are suspected of having tuberculosis. And we're looking to see whether we can distinguish those who had TB and those who didn't. Because the end game here really is the vision of turning every phone in Africa into a diagnostic device. Okay. And is it is it trying to eliminate cough or is it trying to figure out the root cause of cough that kind of drives you so cough is really interesting because if you never cough you will probably die from aspiration pneumonia and yet if you're coughing a lot you might be dying from aspiration pneumonia so it is both a protective normal reflex and it is can be an indication of disease and and so there's a lot of complexity and subtlety uh to cough which isn't true for say you know, atrial fibrillation, like, you know, a bad heart rhythm is bad heart rhythm. Cough, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Okay. Um, I want to transition a little bit and let's, let's talk about quality healthcare for a second. What does quality healthcare mean to you? I think it, at, at the highest level, it's, it's services that work for patients and allows them to achieve long and healthy lives. 
And, uh, and yet I think this is a topic I could geek out on, uh, because I've thought a lot about this in the context of the work that I did at the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation on tuberculosis. How do you define quality? How do you, uh, create systems to try and improve that quality? How do you know if that quality is being achieved? Um, but at its core, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, I think. Okay. Can you give me an example of quality healthcare? Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example from, from the field of tuberculosis. I spent probably 35 years of my professional life entirely focused on TB. It's one of the most common killers worldwide. And, and, you know, in many parts of the world, if you have a chronic cough, you have about a one in 10 chance of having tuberculosis. And, and that cough is not only annoying to you, it's what's spreading the disease to others. So, you know, as a tuberculosis doctor, I thought that a good health system, a quality health system was one that attracted patients, did a rigorous evaluation and told them whether or not they had TB. And it was kind of ironic because it was, uh, after setting up a trip for Melinda Gates and, and in debriefing with her after she returned to Seattle, where she said, Peter, that was terrible. There were these huge lines of patients. And, and, and I was like, yeah, M Melinda, that's a good thing. That means there are a lot of people coming to get tested. And, 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 and you know, most of them, and, and those that had TB, we were able to diagnose. She said, wait a minute, though, you know, nine out of 10 people walked out of that clinic. All they knew was that they didn't have TB. They went home. They had no idea what was going on. And for me, this was kind of a, like the, the lights went off in my head. It was, oh, yeah, so I get it. <laughs> you know, from a doctor's perspective, you want to have steady flow of patients and you want to know if they're infectious to other patients. From a patient perspective, you want short lines and you want to know what's actually going on. And if TB is one of them, fine. If, if it's not TB, what is it? And, mm. and, and I think that this really gets to sort of this vision of the future where where you know you have patients who are have more control over their own health and they don't have to wait in long lines and 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 see uh doctors to get the care they need okay do you have ideas for how how to make sure that those things are both recognized because you're the doctor you're working on tuberculosis and in some ways the people that are being seen are seen strictly in in terms of do you have it or do you not have it? And that's where, that's the extent of the value in the medical research. But you're saying, okay, there's the other side of it that says, all right, I'm coming in and I'm being tested for this cough. I don't have tuberculosis, but as you've said, what else do I have? What else is going on? And how do I get this fixed? How do you kind of walk the line that, that respects both sides of that? Um, experience. Yeah. yeah, no, it's an it's a really important question. You know, I spent uh, two years uh, living and working in Delhi uh, for the Gates Foundation, trying to understand why tuberculosis was such a huge problem in that country that had basically a good TB control program. And and what I realized it, it was that we had been thinking about the disease from the perspective of the Ministry of Health. And in reality, and from the drug developers and the test 
uh, people who make and sell tests. In reality, you know, it's the patient's perspective, which is actually the critical one. And, and, and we flipped it around. We, we, rather than thinking like, oh, okay, of 100 patients, how many get, get diagnosed? It, we, we flipped it around. We said, what is the patient's journey to care? What is the pathway that, that a coughing patient follows? And, and where are the stumbling blocks along that road? And, and of 100 people in India who were coughing, who you know, started off talking to their mother-in-law and then to a rural medical provider and then kind of bounced their way through the healthcare system, what was that cascade of care and what were causing the delays and what could be done to shorten those delays and get those people into treatment faster? It would, for me, it was, it was all part of this transition that occurred. Uh, most of what I learned about how, uh, quality healthcare was not in medical school. <laughs> you know, it was really from patients and the patient perspective and the patient's um, control of uh, of what it is that they needed with, of course, the, the right um, technology and processes in place to ensure that 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 what they were getting was actually accurate and appropriate. Yeah, it, it's got to be a collaboration of sorts between both both sides of the the experience. Uh, what do you wish people understood about your role in healthcare? Well, I think when people think about healthcare, they think about healthcare providers, and 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 it's kind of the tip of the spear. There is a lot of other activities that are going on that that both discover, develop, and build technologies which improve the patient experience. and And I've spent my life more on the on the the back end here. So you have the basic scientist who's asking fundamental questions. You have the applied scientist who's saying like, what about that is relevant to these patients? You have the, 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 the product developer who's saying, okay, how do I turn that into something which, which can be used in a clinical setting? And then you have the, and then you have the clinician who's actually, you know, get, pr- using the test, providing the drug or whatever. And, and, and I, I think that what's, not widely appreciated is how critical that upstream innovation is for dealing with those downstream problems. Uh, For example, when I started doing TB work, uh, if you had drug-resistant TB, you had to take drugs many, uh, for for 18 to 24 months. And, Mm -hmm. and, and And many people needed months and months and months of injectables. You know, through innovation in drug development, it can now be cured with six months of pills. So that that's the kind of transition that, that I, I, I wish people understood. Yes, we need to get things out there that work today, but we also need to keep our eye on the horizon and bring in the innovation. And, and now is a fantastically innovative time. I think COVID um, you know, has this silver lining of pushing uh, healthcare systems uh, to be more innovative. Okay. It's interesting to me because in the United States, we talk about the cost of prescription drugs. And one of the, one of the reasons that's given for the high cost of prescription drugs is research and development. And what you're talking about is looking at research and development for what's coming out of it rather than for what the, what the cost of that is. It, Am I properly understanding what you're saying? 
Yeah, I'm not a medical economist, and okay. and I think there are a lot of funny games that are played with all those numbers. Um, <clears throat> but but the principle that a new technology can save time and money and improve outcomes is central to the future of healthcare. And and I think that right now where we're seeing the massive amount of innovation is in digital healthcare. Uh, and, and that's where we're really excited about cough. You know, it's it's a common condition. We can now monitor it remotely. Patients can look at their own symptoms and say, hey, you know, when I exercise in the cold, I cough a lot. I'm not going to do that. And, you know, it's it's a fitness thing. It's a very simple way uh, to just help people live healthier lifestyles. And that keeps them out of the medical system entirely. And, you know, eventually we, when we have FDA approval and, and, and we've worked our way into the more traditional healthcare settings, I think what we're going to find is that people who have a cough will get more promptly diagnosed. They will more better understand whether their medication is helping or not. And, and if it's helping, I think it will help them to continue to take it. Cool. Uh, you've kind of answered this question already, but what excites you about the future of healthcare? Yeah, I mean, I would say three things, and, and I think I've mentioned all of them. The first is patient centricity that, uh, you know, I, 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 I love the book, uh, The Patient Will See You Now. <laughs> um, I, I think the second is more incorporation of passively collected data. That it's that and, and the the ability um, to just sort of collect the data that's part of our everyday life. You know, you step on the scale every day, it gets recorded and it tells you whether or not you're going into heart failure. And then finally, data. I mean, data has always been the core of good medicine. And yet we're often dealing with really poor quality data and, and cough is perhaps the best example of that. So, so once we start incorporating all of these together, uh, I think the future of healthcare is super exciting. And, and none of this replaces, and I want to be really clear, I'm not talking about, you know, the cyborg will see you now. I mean, we still need healthcare systems. We need compassionate, empathic providers, but we need to give them better tools uh, for for them to understand what's going on with the patient and what's the consequences of the interventions that they're suggesting. Excellent. All right. Last question. What is one thing medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? Well, I'd say that a characteristic of a of a good medical care provider has always been listening. And, and that hasn't changed. But I do think that the character of the conversation is evolving in a way that many healthcare providers are confused by. And that is to not only talk with a patient and look at the records from the referring doctor, but to start entertaining the data streams that people are generating from their health apps, from their smartwatch. And, you know, I, I, I hear it all the time. It's like cardiologist doesn't want to hear every time their patient skips a heartbeat. I mean, I frankly find that offensive because, you know, A, of course they don't, but, but nor 
do you need to send them that information? You know, there are many companies who are working to try and figure out how we passively collect data, how we do rigorous studies to know what part of that is important to doctors, and then how we pass that on. And, and I think that, that healthcare providers need to get more in tune with the digital data that patients are generating um, and to do it in a thoughtful and scientific way. Got it. Hey, listen, Dr. Small, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate the, the insights that you've given, and I respect your perspective on healthcare. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit PerspectivesOnHealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.